Thank you, choir. Thank you for that. Oh, that was beautiful. Really beautiful. Oh, good morning. Oh, it's been a good week. Uh, we actually have something to celebrate. Uh, because yesterday, we got to baptize somebody into the family of believers. We got to baptize Sky. So if you get to see him today, yes, just give him some love today. Um, it was really cool. Uh, we got to go to the Skycomish River, and it was, it was a little chilly, but uh, and baptize him in the river there. Um, but God is good. God is so good. Um, I'm excited to bring the word to you this morning. I, I always enjoy uh, when I get a chance to, to preach. And I, and I, but I will say that whenever Pastor Adam is gone, it seems like I get stuck with really hard texts. Coincidence? I don't, I, maybe. I don't know. Uh, this week is no different, though. Uh, we, we are looking at a, a tough text. We are looking at the stoning of Stephen. He is the first martyr of the church. Um, it was also tough this weekend getting prepped to write a sermon because it is March Madness. It was hard for me to do that. Um, didn't expect Princeton to be in the Sweet 16, but here we are. I don't know who let the nerds get good at basketball, you know. But, <laughs> no, it was, it's... But we are picking up where we left off last week. Um, we're picking up in Acts chapter 6, in the middle of of Acts 6. Last week we looked at these uh, seven uh, men who were selected by the disciples uh, because the church was growing. The church was growing uh, massively in Jerusalem. And so because of that, there were certain things that were starting to, to, to get overlooked. And the, the disciples said, we can't, we can't be look, overlooking certain things uh, like the daily distribution uh, to widows. The church in Jerusalem was doing a, a daily food distribution to widows. And they said, we, we, can't, we don't want to forsake preaching and teaching. We can't do that, but we need help to make sure that all of these things get done. And so they, they selected seven uh, who were to come and, and help with that and these seven were known to be full of faith, full of wisdom, and full of the Holy Spirit. Um, and then this is where we're picking up. Also, I just have to say, I am so thankful pe- to be a part of a church where lay people are preaching and teaching. Uh, what a blessing. Last week, uh, Mike, uh, we talked about the selecting of these seven. But one of them was this guy named Stephen. So we're going to turn to Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. 
And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, reveal your truth to us in this text. I pray that you would just open our hearts to you, Lord. Open our hearts uh, to, to who you are and what we can learn in your words to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, these Jews from a particular synagogue are angry. This, this upstart group of Christians is becoming more and more of a problem for them because they are reaching people with the message of the gospel. And, and what's more, uh, of this, this bring, not only is it affecting their authority to speak, it's also uh, bringing them to shame because the implication is, well, you are the ones who killed the Messiah. And so they're angry. They're angry. And they trump up these charges against Stephen. And they, they, they get these guys to say that Stephen was blaspheming Moses. He was trash-talking him. Now, of course, with the Jewish culture and tradition, Moses was the guy. You don't talk bad about Moses. So they grab Stephen and they drag him into their courts. And so we're actually going to jump over to chapter 7 here as well. Um, and chapter 7 in Acts is long. It's 60 verses long. So we're not, don't worry, we're not going to read all of that today. I do encourage you to go home and read it. It's, it's really good. It is. It's good stuff. But here, um, Stephen basically gives a sermon on the life of Moses. But as he does, as he walks through this history, he, he, he's talking about Moses. But as he does, he highlights the, the, how the history of how the Jewish people lack obedience to God and, and they, how they continually and habitually just walk away from God, walk away from God over and over again. And so he's proving as he says this, he's saying, I'm not putting down Moses at all. But rather, I'm saying that you guys aren't obeying the law anyways. You who say you're so holy, you're not, you just keep walking away. And in verse 51, he says this, and he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Boy, that's a heck of a thing to say. Uncircumcised in heart and ears, essentially saying, you may put on a show, of like how holy you are and how awesome you are. But it's a heart issue. You're, you, you might act obedient out in public. You might have a display of this obedience, but your heart isn't obedient. You're not listening to God. Then he goes on and he asks them, which of the prophets did Israel not persecute? He asked them, who, the, who didn't they kill who announced the coming of the righteous one? And he's, of course, referring to John the Baptist here. 
John the Baptist, who was to prepare the way for the Lord. And, of course, he was killed for this. And then he says, you, you received the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So Stephen, empowered by the Holy Spirit, emboldened by the Holy Spirit, both shows how he is, he is not blaspheming Moses at all, but he calls out these Jewish leaders who pride themselves in their piety and their traditions and how holy they appear, and he, he throws it back at them. And, and, and you might be wondering, why, why is he not just answering the charges brought to him about Moses? And I believe that it's because he knew that the issue wasn't really about Moses. The issue was Jesus and the gospel of Jesus and this new movement because these religious leaders, they really liked being in control. And this was, this was they were losing their authority. And they did not like this newfound freedom and just coming to Christ in faith and following him. Well, let's pick up now in verse, chapter 7, verse 54. Now, when they had heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So, in there, these uh, Jews' religious mind, how he has this vision. Stephen has this vision of God at the right hand, of Jesus at the right hand of God. And, and, and in their minds, they're going, this is too much for them. It's too much for them. Because that would mean, if Jesus is at the right hand of God, the Father... They were wrong. It was more than they could handle. So they take Stephen outside of the city and they stone him. But even in stoning Stephen, his last words were not of defense, but obedience and submission to Christ. Last week we talked about service and, and Mike said that our call is to service. You've got a call to service, but you've got your whole life to do it. 
And that's true. But we also need to come underneath that and ask the question, how far are you willing to go in service? In other words, are you all in? This is a tough one to preach. As, as, as I'm praying about this, this week, I was like, how do I, how do I bring a, a, a message on Stephen? How do, I, how do I challenge you based off of this text, especially in our culture and context where you probably won't be asked to give your life for Jesus? Maybe you will, but probably not. But honestly, I think the life of Stephen, it, it calls into questions how I think many Christians try to sell Jesus to a hurting world. I mean, think, think about it. Uh, Stephen was chosen to be a leader, and he was performing signs and wonders. He was, he was giving everything for Christ's church, and then he was killed. Does that seem fair? Does that even seem strategic on God's part? Why would God ask to give, him to give his life when Stephen was doing so much good? But how do we promote the gospel when, when we want our friends and, and, and our neighbors and our, and our co-workers and, and, and others to know Jesus? I, I think many would say things like, and, I, and I've said this too, when, when you come to Jesus, you will have purpose for your life. And we might quote scripture and say, say where he says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. We might tell them that. Or, or, or maybe we tell someone that if they're searching for joy and happiness, we might tell them that following Christ will bring a joy and contentment because you're, you know your life is under the rule of God who will provide for your needs, your true needs. Or maybe it's, it's the peace that surpasses all understanding or, or the community of believers that we find. Now, all of these are true and all of these are wonderful things that Scripture tells us. Um, God says that our Father delights in in blessing his children, just as a father delights in giving gifts to his children. All of these are amazing things that God does for us, but they aren't reasons to come to Christ. They're not. Do you know why I followed Jesus? Because I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. That's the reason. God gave us the ability for loving him to be optional. The only reason love means anything is because there is a choice. But I took that ability to choose and I misused it. And I chose selfishness and greed. And I chose things that God wanted me not to do. And ultimately in doing that I chose death. Because the wages of sin is death. That's what my sin deserves. This is the reason, though, to come to Jesus, because I need grace. But somehow, I, we as Christians often end up selling this idea that if you come to Jesus, all the problems in your life will just melt away. And that's a false gospel. Remember the rich young ruler who was in two of the gospels? He, he comes to Jesus and he... And, and we see this, this, he sees this movement that's happening of more and more people following Jesus. And he, and he goes, he says, Jesus, I want in. I want to follow you. I know all of the commands and I've kept them all. That's the first hint that he's not entirely being honest with himself. But, but Jesus, he lets that slide. He doesn't even address that. 
And he says, wonderful, I'd love to have you. But here's what I want you to do. I want to take everything you have and I want you to give it to the poor. Come and follow me. That rich young ruler turned away and grieving because he was a wealthy man. Right? Why, why would Jesus ask that from him? Why, why would he ask him to give up everything he owned? Because Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew that eventually these two things were going to come into conflict. And that was his idol. His possessions was his idol. And he would be forced with a choice. So Jesus confronted him in this. See, are you willing to let this go? And it begs the question, what would Jesus ask of us? What would, he, what would he say to me or to you? Or You want to follow me? Great. All you have to do is fill in the blank. There are probably as many examples as there are people in this room, so I'm not going to give examples. But, but sure, you can follow me. All I want you to do is something come to mind. So this brings us to a qu tough question. What has our faith cost us? The cost of serving Christ. A good place to know what we value is to look at our uh, account statements and our, and our calendars. Where we put our time and our money often shows what we most care about. And don't panic, this isn't a sermon on tithing. It's not a sermon on even it's not a sermon on even serving, really. I'm not gonna get up here and tell you you gotta serve more because I think we have people in the church who serve above and beyond. They sacrifice a lot to serve. But I wanna use this to, to illustrate that that our faith ought to cost us something. It doesn't have to cost us necessarily our life. There are people that it will and there are people that it won't. But it is going to cost you something. There's a story that's been told many times to illustrate a point. I doubt if it's true, but I think it's, it's a good story that illustrates a point. There's, there's a pastor and a man and they're driving around in a car and there's this billboard and it says the lottery is up to 10 million or whatever. And the, the, the man goes, oh, pastor, if I won that, I would give double tithe. She goes, wow, that would be great. That would, that would do a lot. That would help a lot of people. What if it was a million? Oh, absolutely. Double tithe. Double tithe. Well, that's awesome. What if, what if it was a thousand? Man hesitates. He says, what if it was just what was in your wallet? See, the point is not how much do we give. The point is, are we willing to sacrifice our own wants? Are we willing to be selfless in service to Christ? I can tell you without a doubt that there are members here who serve until it hurts, who are serving day in and day out, and, the, and they sacrifice their own wants because they know that they have been called to it. Just as Stephen was called to serve. What about relationships? Stephen was a devout Jew before he came to faith. Now he's hated by his fellow Jews. Faith might cost you relationships. 
That's tough. It's faith. Being a Christian in today's world, it can be tough. Speaking truth has gotten harder and harder in our cultural context because faith and, and, the, and the things that Scripture teaches are becoming pitted against growing cultural acceptance for things that Bible clearly speaks about. And while we are quick to love and accept, it's not necessarily as mutual. And, and sadly, there are many churches that are embracing falsehood to avoid scorn and condemnation. Not many of us are facing death for our beliefs, at least not yet, but we, we do cower from threats that are less than deadly. How, how can we die for Christ if we are afraid of being mocked or teased or laughed at or God forbid, unfriended from social media. How are we to live all in? How does that look like? Stephen became a leader in his personal life uh, before he was asked to be a leader in the church. He was known for being wise, man of good reputation, and being full of the Holy Spirit. He is becoming a leader in his personal life. So we need to practice what we preach. It's hard to say that we are all in when we, when we aren't in the Word, when we aren't in prayer, when we, aren't, we want, aren't reading the Word of God and digesting it and putting it into action. Stephen clearly knew Scripture as well. Uh, he was able to give an answer for the, the hope that was with, within him. But when he was challenged by false accusations, what did he use? He used the word of God. And he had a personal relationship with Jesus who he loved. He loved Jesus. It's a lot easier to die for someone you love than for something that you believe in. Called to give our lives for a person, not an idea. What comes down to it, Stephen was, he was all in, regardless of the cost. And we can look at it and go, why? This isn't fair. It's, it's hard to look at Stephen's ministry and, and, and not question the fairness of what happens to him. We, we, we love fairness from an early age. That's probably one of the first things that, you know, kids learn is, it's not fair. We, we especially get ticked off if we feel that something's unfair has happened to us. But did you know God isn't fair? God isn't fair. Because if God was fair, I wouldn't be saved. If God was fair, Jesus wouldn't have died for me. I wouldn't receive mercy or grace because God's, if God was fair. But he chose unfairly to send his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So I'm thankful that I have a God that's not fair. Following Jesus is still not what I get out of it. It's about living for God because he deserves it no matter what. We accept the good with gratitude, but we are also accept, called to accept the negative with gratitude. I mean, it's, it sounds crazy, but James wrote that. 
In the book of James, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of any kind, because the testing of your faith will produce uh, perseverance. And perseverance, once it's completed, its work in you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So often we start expecting things from God that he never promised. We start grumbling and we feel like we're being treated unfairly after all I've done. Rather than remembering that God didn't treat us fairly in the first place. Thank heaven for that. Back in 1956, there was a group of five missionaries. And you probably will know their names. Jim Elliott, Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, and Nate Saint. Leader of this crew, Jim Elliott, he was so passionate about bringing the word of God to places where it had never been taken They chose to make contact with this tribe in Ecuador called the Acas tribe. This tribe had never encountered people from their outside world before. And they started to make first contact with this tribe. They, they, they wanted to just build a relationship. And so what they did was they took the small plane and they started lowering um, gifts to this village. They just wanted to show that they, they, they loved them and that they cared about them. And, and finally, they felt that it was time to land on the beach. And they, they interacted at first with a man and two women from the tribe who came out to meet them. And they, they even took the man for a ride in their plane. A few days later, two women came out of the jungle and they got all excited because they were like, oh, we, we've got a chance. They're coming back. And so they, came, they, they rushed out to try and greet them. But as they went toward them, warriors came out of the jungle and they were speared to death, all five of them. They gave their all. The story doesn't end there. The father of one of these men later came back to this tribe and he brought people with him. And, and there was... He talked about he, he wanted revenge. But when he met the man who killed his son, he couldn't. He embraced him. God gave him some supernatural ability to love and forgive this man. Later, the, the wives of these men traveled to Ecuador, and the tribe did not have the heart to kill women. And so they were able to build a relationship with the very people that had killed their husbands. And many came to know Christ. Jim Elliot is probably most known for this quote. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. After he died, Elizabeth, Jim's wife, published his journal, full of things that he wrote down, never, never knowing that millions of people would read them, never knowing the cost that he was going to pay. So before we close, I, I want to show you uh, that video of quotes from the diary of Jim Elliott.
How our dreams are taught to you. Showy, but cheap and a poor quality. When they are compared to the leading of God, they are not worthy of the aura of wonder we usually surround them with. God only doeth wonders. His hand can work nothing less. In my own experience, I have found the most extravagant dreams of boyhood have not surpassed the great experience of being in God's will. I believe that nothing could be better. His will is always a bigger thing than we bargain for. But we must believe that whatever it involves, it is good, acceptable, and perfect. Father, let me lose my clutch on everything temporal, my life, my possessions. Lord, help me release the tension of my grasping hand. Open it as Christ was opened to receive the nail of Calvary. That I might be unleashed from all that binds me. God, saturate me with the oil of the Spirit, that I may be aflame. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. Surely those who know the great compassionate heart of God must deny their own loves to share in the expression of His. Compelled by His call from the throne above, from those round about, and even from the damned souls below, I dare not stay home while others perish. It makes me boil when I think of the power we profess and the utter impotency of our actions. We are spiritual pacifists in this battle to the death with principalities and powers in high places. American believers have sold their lives to the service of mammon, and the tombs themselves are not colder than our well-fed churches. Their condemnation is written in the dust on their Bible covers. We are content to sit by and leave the enemies of God unchallenged. Young men are going into professional fields because they don't feel called. We don't need a call. We need a kick in the pants. We need a stirring. May God send us forth. Because he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I pray that the Lord will give you a hallowed daredevil spirit in lifting the sword of truth, consuming you with a passion that is called by the cultured citizen of Christendom, fanaticism, but known to God as that saintly madness that led his son through bloody sweat and hot tears to glory. How long dare we go on without passion and love? Not long, I pray, Lord Jesus, not long. I feel like I need to watch that vision, that video uh, about a dozen times before I don't get choked up watching it. The cost of service. <laughs> Not that. <laughs> there is a cost. There is a cost. A life lived for Jesus, all in, I can honestly say, is the greatest life we could ever live, no matter the cost. But there will be a cost. 
Our text that we read earlier mentioned a guy named Saul, who the Hebrews laid their, their coats before his feet, and Saul approved of Stephen's killing. And I think Luke, who writes Acts, gives us a glimpse of this guy named Saul, who would later on, on the road to Damascus, encounter God in such a profound and powerful way that his life was forever changed and he would become Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who carried the gospel everywhere he went. When you live all in for Christ, you never know who's watching. There is not a shadow of a doubt in my mind that Luke includes this in his account of Acts. It's just such a brief little snippet of this guy named Saul. Because I think that Stephen's message and how he died left an impact on Saul. Later on, when he encountered God in that, on the road to Damascus, his heart was ready for it. You never know who might see it and it might impact them later on. The impact might not be obvious at first. It says in our text that the persecution of the church led the church to be scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. The gospel went out to these places because of persecution. Remember when we started this series, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, when Jesus tells them to go, he says, you'll receive the power from the Holy Spirit, and when you do, you're going to go. And he says, you're going to go to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And we just saw that fulfilled right here through persecution. And it wasn't through just a passive acceptance of Christianity. It was through persecution and torture and death. God's word will not be sopped. So are you ready, regardless of the cost? Whether you receive great blessing or whether God asks everything of you. Are you ready to give what he cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose? I pray that God sends us forth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. I pray that you would give each of us in this room a courageous spirit to bring the gospel boldly. Bring the news of your son to people who need it, regardless the cost. I pray that you would give us a spirit of self-sacrifice in loving as you have called us to love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.